Hi guys, happy Monday. Welcome back to Kindled. I hope you had a beautiful Easter with your family and friends. Um, I apologize if you hear the very loud sawing happening in the background. That is my kitchen remodel. I have been waiting for the loud noises to calm down so I could record this and it's just not going to happen. So it is what it is. Um, We are in the midst of that over at my house, which is fun and also a little challenging to have no kitchen with three kids under eight, but um, not complaining. It's going to be great once it's all done. Um, But I, you can hear that, can't you? Um, I am, this is harder than I thought actually to really maintain my focus, but I'm excited to bring you an episode that I got to have a, a conversation I had with Tim Challies about the means of grace. <laughs> this is, I keep pausing it. It's just, this is funny. It sounds like they're literally hamming, hammering on the outside of my wall. I mean, they basically are right beneath me. Um, but okay. The, um, the level of distraction that I am trying to record through is, is really impressive over here. So I just, I want you to recognize that. But, um, as I said, so I am really just not going to pretend like I can focus on this intro. I am going to give you the conversation with Tim Challies. But before I do, um, I want to let you know that the sponsors for today's episode are my business, H. Williams Creative. Hit me up if you need, uh, branding, logo design, or web design. Sue Yunt with Plexus Products. I love Plexus Products and Sue is your girl. You'll hear her, how do I get in touch with her, her number and her Instagram profile a bit later. And Cornerstone Curriculum, my favorite Christian curriculum company. It is spring. It's time to start thinking about curriculum for the fall. So stay tuned to hear about the offer that they are giving Kindle listeners. Okay, I did it. Here's my conversation with Tim Challies. Sounds good. All right. So today on Kindled, I'm chatting with Tim Challies. Tim, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Uh, I would love for you to introduce yourself and tell the audience a little bit about yourself, uh, who you are, what you do, anything that you want to share from your testimony. Sure. Tim Challies, I live in Oakville, Ontario, Canada, which is just outside of Toronto. I've been married to Aileen for getting on 24 years now. We have three children, one of whom is in high school, one of whom is in college, one of whom is in heaven. And um, I worship and serve at Grace Fellowship Church, where um, I've been for a number of years now, but an elder there for quite a number of years. And uh, to keep me busy during the day, I write blogs and I write books. Wow, that's that's awesome. Yeah, you, you're a prolific writer. And uh, I know that you, I, I listened to your podcast that you had for a while you had something going on with your hands. Does that some sort of, um, pain in your hands? Is that still present? Yeah. Yeah. It's related to typing all day, every day okay. and doing that for many years. And it doesn't seem to be going away. Uh, wow. we've tried everything from mainstream into pretty kooky stuff and nothing seems to be making a difference. And so it seems to be the sort of thing I'm just going to have to live with. And no, that's okay. I can, if I need to, though, it would be nice if it just mm-hmm. went away as well. But have you, are you like a voice to text guy? Can you speak for yourself to write or is that not how your brain works? You know, I can, I've done it a little bit in the past, but it's not how my brain works. It goes a whole lot slower and I use Mac hardware, which doesn't currently have any really good voice to text Mm. kind of software. We had dragon naturally speaking for a while, but they stopped supporting Mac. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've just never had that much success with it for a while. I'd have people come in and type for me and I would just narrate to them Winston Churchill style. Um, But yeah, that wasn't doing it for me either over the long term. So no, I just 
bear with it. It's okay. I can, I can deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like the thorn in thorn in Paul's side, right? (laughs) Something. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the Lord has different ways of keeping us humble or keeping us from overworking or whatever he's got. So I'm, I'm good with it. If that's the way he wants it to be, I'm, I'm cool with it. Right. Right. Well, um, getting into the topic for today, I know that you um, had a book that released this past September, and I would love for you to kind of tell us a little bit about that, because that is going to be the, um, you know, the impetus behind what the topic that we're discussing today. Sure. Yeah. So the book is called Knowing and Enjoying God. I have a copy right here. Uh, A number of years ago, I I started collecting quotes, quotes by Christian authors, Christian personalities, and so on. I just love a good quote, a good succinct summation of truth. Started collecting them and sharing them through the blog day by day. And over time, found a designer who could uh, make the same quote look pretty, um, Mm -hmm. lay it over top of an image. Uh, Jules Coblin and I started working together years ago. And, um, you know, we started sharing these things are very uh, shareable through social Mm -hmm. media. And over time, started thinking maybe we could uh, collect them into a book and write some devotionals to go with them and uh, make a presentation out of it. And so mm-hmm. that's that idea became knowing and enjoying God, which we're calling we're making it a series called Words from the Wise. This is the first volume. There will be mm-hmm. we trust others to come. That's so cool. Yeah, I honestly I don't know that I have ever seen a book in this format, which um it makes so much sense. And it's kind of funny because it's almost like an Instagram post or a social media post with like the caption, like that's kind of, you know, for anyone that has not seen it um, or is not familiar with it, that is literally what it is. When you open up the book, you see the, the image that has been designed with a quote um, overlay and then like accompanying commentary about that Mm -hmm. quote. And it's just bite-sized chunks piece. I feel like it's very accessible and really, easy to, I mean, just accompany like your daily, you know, prayer time or Bible reading, or just, I don't know. I found myself like reading, you know, 10 or 15 in a row, just because they're, they're all so rich and so encouraging. Um, but I feel like it also would be a great, um, something that would be nice to give to someone who's maybe even like a young believer or baby believer in their faith, you know, someone who, who might not be ready for like a full on theology book or is like, I don't know if I can do that, but these are just easy to digest, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. In a sense, it's working the opposite way of most things. It's working from a new medium into an older one. So it's taking Mm -hmm essentially memes and then making a book out of them, which is backward right. from, from most things. But um, yeah, we just thought we could take it out of the internet space and put it into the print space and it would still yeah. make sense. And totally. Harvest House was a great publisher to work with. They're very good at books of that, that kind. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we designed it as a book that would appeal to seasoned believers, but also newer believers, or even mm-hmm. people who are just exploring the faith, considering the Christian faith. And yeah. the theme we chose to go with was the means of grace, essentially, which is how we as Christians can come to know God, how we can have a relationship with God, how we can uh, really come to enjoy and delight in our God. And so we thought it was a great theme to begin a series with and hopefully draw in people who yeah, maybe are just interested in the notion of God or exploring a relationship with God, but don't yet know him or know him all that well. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that kind of brings us into the topic, the, the means of grace, which, you know, I gotta be honest, I, I have been a believer as long as I can remember from probably about the age of nine. I don't think I've ever, I mean, in the last few years, I've certainly 
heard that phrase, but I don't think I ever really connected that, you know, the, the, that, that was another way to describe spiritual disciplines. I've Mm -hmm. always heard it said as spiritual disciplines. And I've understood that means, you know, prayer, Bible reading, going to church, like being involved in the life of a local body, all of these things. I, I understood that, but being, hearing it put as means of grace was like a paradigm shift for me of, oh, like I'm not just doing a spiritual discipline because that's what Christians should do. I'm, I, I am to want to do these things because that is how God actually manifests his grace in my life. And mm-hmm. I mean, this is obviously why you wrote the book, but it, it's interesting that, you know, I don't know that that was kind of like a, an aha moment for me. Do you hear mm-hmm. that from people? Yeah. So I grew up in the Dutch Reformed tradition and in the Presbyterian tradition, and both focused a fair bit on the means of grace. So these were terms I was quite familiar with growing up. Also, as a kid who doesn't really remember days when I wasn't a believer, Um, I think spiritual disciplines focuses more on what we do, where Mm -hmm. means of grace focuses more on what God does. And that's maybe the helpful um, flipping of the switch there. And, and both terms are fine. And if they're not synonymous, they're certainly related. But spiritual disciplines are those things we do in order mm-hmm. to foster a relationship with God. But what are those disciplines? They're really the means of grace. And when we talk about means of grace, we're essentially just admitting that we need grace and God mm-hmm. has grace. So how does that grace flow from God to us? Mm-hmm. Can we just choose ways that God will give us his grace? Or are there specific ways that God says, here's how my grace flows from from me to my people? And when we talk means of grace, we're saying, okay, God has directed in in the Bible how his grace comes to us. And so we ought to take advantage of those. We ought to plug ourselves in to those means, so to speak. Yeah, man, that's, yeah, that's really clear how you, how you put that. Um, so the means of grace, this book is broken down and, um, into you focus on several of the key, you know, areas or habits that we would see in the life of a Christian. And I I would really encourage people to get the book, but high level, do you, um, are you able to kind of just walk us through what some of those are? Yeah. So traditionally when Christians have spoken about the means of grace, they focus on scripture, they focus on prayer and they focus either on sacraments or, or sacraments or ordinances, or they focus on the local church more, more broadly. Um, I, I chose to, to go that direction. Mm-hmm. And so how, does, how do we um, maintain and foster a relationship with God? We do so by reading the word, meditating on the word of God, the Bible, and that's how God speaks to us. And then we respond to God speaking to us by speaking to him through prayer. And then, of course, we respond to the body of God um, in, in the world through the local church. And so um, between those three things, we've now taken advantage of the means God provides through which he speaks, we speak, and through which we maintain a real true living relationship with the God of all the universe. And what an amazing thing. I think we as Christians can sometimes lose the wonder of that, that this great big God has reached down to little the likes of little you and me and engaged us in a relationship Uh, what an amazing thing that we can speak to him and be heard that he can speak to us and we can listen and respond it's it's unreal really yeah yeah absolutely and i think you know uh sounds like we we have similar um upbringings in the sense that we've 
you know, known, known God our whole lives, or at least the bulk of our lives. And, um, I know that it's certainly easy when you come from a a story and a background like that to take for granted that that is available to you and to even, um, depending on your propensity in my case, you know, um, sort of maybe turn some of those aspects into a legalistic pursuit of, you know, um, looking how a Christian should look, or, you know, it's what you're supposed to do. And so you tell yourself, okay, I, I know that I need to be in the word. I know I need to read my Bible regularly. Um, I know that I should be in prayer. I want to be in prayer, but sort of turning it into, um, something that is a, a checklist or a, just something to be done, like a performative work, Um, could you speak to that and the difference between viewing these things, these spiritual disciplines that way versus, um, an alternative way, a better way? Sure. There is a a real place for duty in the Christian life. And as you read our spiritual forebears, people who are writing in the 16, 17, 1800s, they often spoke of the necessity of duty being dutiful before the Lord to do those things that he requires of us. And in that way, I think a husband and wife can be very dutiful toward one another and saying, you know what, we need to, we need to establish a date night and we're going to make that a discipline that we go out and have a date night. That's not a cold duty. That's not, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just a very wise way of, of fostering, promoting a relationship. Mm. And when we talk about spiritual disciplines or means of grace, we're, we're, doing much the same in that we're saying we ought to take advantage of these things. We need to discipline ourselves to read the word, discipline ourselves to pray. Now, hopefully we're doing it out of a sense of delight, not cold duty, not God's forcing me to do this. Uh, You know, nothing like that. Hopefully we understand that we relate to God on the basis of grace, not our works. And so God doesn't love us more on those days when we read the Bible. He doesn't love us less on the days we fail to pray. That's not the way his his love works. Um, But hopefully we, through our sheer delight in God and what he's done for us and reaching out Mm -hmm. to us and saving us, then hopefully we we're just enjoying the relationship with him. Um, Just as we enjoy, hopefully relating to our, our spouse, relating to our friends, relating to our children and so on. If you are a small business owner or an entrepreneur who is launching a business or maybe needing a website redesign, then check this out. Websites are expensive and custom websites are even more expensive, but what if you could spend just a thousand dollars and get a beautiful professionally designed customized site that would help you get your business off the ground, legitimize you to customers, help you get the word out and start building your business instead of dumping five, seven, even $10,000 into a custom website. Well, that is the product that I have developed. It's called the 1K website. It is a single page fully customized, beautiful, and functional site that I create for you with your brand colors, your aesthetic, your logo, all of the things. This is something I'm really excited to be able to offer because I know it's something that a lot of people need and maybe just didn't think was possible. So if you want to chat more about that, check out my website, hwilliamscreative.com or shoot me an email, Haley, H-A-L-E-Y at hwilliamscreative.com. Yeah. That's so true. So good. Because yeah, I mean, and if we're not doing any of those things, like it becomes harder to, uh, you know, to, to actually have a relationship with the God to connect, to, um, feel his presence, to know, cause he is present. He's omnipresent. 
And we know that to be true intellectually, but like we might not sense or feel or see how he's working in our lives if we aren't participating in those spiritual disciplines or in those regular means of grace. And, um, and really ultimately what that does is, you know, it's, it's a cost to us. It's not, you know, it, it hurts us. And, and obviously God's design is always what is best for his people. And, and that is, you know, why he's, um, instructed us to do these things. So what do you see in, in the church today as, uh, the means of grace that is most needed or maybe the most, um, misunderstood, forgotten, uh, uh, ignored? It's a good question. Um, I've been doing a lot of reading lately from authors in the 1800s, early 1900s, sort of been a fascination of mine lately. And I've been interested to see that they would probably say the exact same thing. I was just reading an author a couple of days ago who was talking about how there in the late 1800s, everything was hustle and bustle and distraction and how people couldn't just sit down and read and pray. So they were failing to take advantage of the means of grace just because of the sheer busyness of their lives. Mm-hmm. Of course, we say, hey, they didn't even know what it was like to have an iPhone and Instagram and internet and all these social media constantly pounding into their lives. Um, but some of these things are, I just think, universal. They just come with our humanity. They come with life in this world. So always it's a challenge to read. Always it's a challenge to pray. But I wonder if today part of the challenge is just relationship. Um, so it, being in the local church and really fully participating in the life of the local church where God does bless us through his means of grace, whether that's praying together or uh, studying God's word together, hearing it preached, um, enjoying the the ordinances or or sacraments. Um, I think we in our day are very used to custom crafting relationships. And we find Mm -hmm. that through the internet, we can Mm -hmm. follow the people we want to follow, but we don't have to follow the people we don't want to follow. And uh, the local church is very different in that it's an involuntary community. I don't get to choose who joins my church. People just Mm -hmm. show up and we We trust that God, by his providence, is leading them there. And so fully committing to a local church, to the life of the local church, even though it's full of people who are different from us and have different Mm -hmm. convictions about everything from maybe baptism to vaccines and everything in between, that can be a real challenge. And I think a lot of Christians shy away from the challenge. Yeah, so true. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that, yeah, for us as much as social media claims to connect you and stay connect, help you stay connected. Um, what it has done is exactly what you described is connect you to people who are just like you, but disconnect you from those who aren't. And what you find in the local church is a lot of people who you might like, or might just have an affinity for become friends with easily, but then others who you don't. And, mm-hmm. you know, even at looking at your small group, like, I've been in many small groups, uh, over the course of my life and some where I connected with people instantly, certain, certain couples we were just more drawn to, or our kids were the same age. And that was just easy. And then others that it was not natural and it was not, you know, it was not just an automatic, uh, you know, um, connection where it was like, we're going to be, we're going to become friends. And that was, that was okay. And that was actually good. And there was, there was other things that I learned being involved in that community than simply just finding people who were just like me, who were all on the same page and agreed with me on everything I thought, you know what I mean? And, and I think yeah. that so, so often I hear, especially from people my age and kind of in the um, millennial generation is they want to find people who are like them. They want to find like-minded, you know, uh, people who are uh, aligned 
And I think there's certainly value in, in finding, of course, when we are talking about fellowshipping with believers, like that's certainly biblical that, yeah, we want to have those that we're spending the most time with be ones that are sharpening us and edifying us. But inside of that, you know, there's going to also be a lot of believers in your church, a lot of people who might show up to your small group that you don't necessarily connect with. And you don't need to be afraid of that. You don't actually need to try and custom craft your your church community to only look like, you know, a bunch of little clones of yourself running around. And, um, and that is not necessarily how God has actually said that he's going to work in your life. And, and so I think that it is, it is a challenge for us to really submit to that. And then for people to choose to even be engaged. A lot, a lot of people are opting out of small group. You know, I know that a lot of people will be like, Oh, I'm just going to go to church, but I don't really need one more event or, whatever I I'm using small group, that's our church's terminology, yeah. but whatever, like the, the term is for your church or however you guys do, you know, smaller communities of, of, uh, you know, throughout the week. Um, yeah. I, I see that a lot. Do you see that? Yeah. One of the, the problems at the very heart of humanity is a great self-love. We love ourselves mm-hmm. and the more people are unlike us, the harder we find to love them. We, yeah. we consider ourselves the most eminently lovable creatures on earth. And as people are different from us, that presents the challenge. And yet, um, you know, the gospel calls us together despite differences. And it doesn't call us just to get along, grit our teeth and bear it until Jesus comes back. It tells us to truly love one another despite differences. And even on matters of conscience, we're not supposed to trample over other people's conscience and demand conformity to a standard we create, but to allow them to celebrate with them as they heed their conscience, even while we heed ours. Um, I think one of the the negative upshots of the church growth movement that was sort of late 90s into the uh, early part of the 21st century was that it, it taught us that we should custom craft churches, that the way to build a healthy church was to partition it down to, to natural affinity groups of mm-hmm. uh, divided by race, divided by age, divided by socioeconomic status, whatever it was, mm-hmm. and form churches around those really easy barriers. But the gospel looks great when it's bringing people together in true, loving, living relationship who had have no reason to have anything to do with one another otherwise. And so I hope young couples are building true relationship with old couples and people are, are meeting and enjoying one another across races, across classes, any division should just fall apart before the gospel of grace. Yeah, man, that's so encouraging and so true. The next sponsor I want to let you know about is my friend Sue with Plexus Products. Now, I've been using these products for about six months to help with my gut health. I'm using their vitamins, their daily adult vitamins, their microbiome, um, their microbiome for kids that helps with gut flora and helping our kids stay healthy, especially in these sick winter and spring months. I'm using their Slim Packets, which have been really helpful in my weight loss journey. Um, I'm also using their Carb Blocker now, which I will take if I'm going to have a really carb-heavy meal. Uh, I just really enjoy the products that Plexus makes, and Sue is offering Kindled listeners 10% off welcome pack orders, plus a cute, free Plexus water bottle. She's also going to give you some one-on-one coaching to help you reach your health goals, whatever that may be, whether it is getting better sleep, um, helping with anxiety, or maybe if you're on a weight loss journey like I am, whatever it may be, 
reach out to Sue, ask her what they have that might be helpful to you. Um, And maybe like me, you too will be surprised by how much you really enjoy and benefit from Plexus products. Text Sue at 231-920-5993 or you can DM her on Instagram at 7inthewoods. That is number, the number 7 in the woods on Instagram. So text her 231-920-5993 or DM her on Insta at 7inthewoods. Um so one other question that uh comes up in in reading your book is you know uh, or maybe not question but something that you draw a distinction between is how God takes initiative in establishing a relationship with his people but there's a few really great um i'm sure there's more than a few i haven't read gotten through all of the the whole book but quite a few quotes that you know that you unpack that speak to how yes god initiates and establishing a relationship with his people and like you said he has given us this means by which we can know him and he's revealed himself in his word Um, but how there's also a responsibility of us to participate in that and to partner with the Holy spirit and fostering a relationship. So could you speak to that dynamic? Cause I think that is, um, perhaps, and and again, this is just revealing my own like bent of, you know, being reformed and, you know, maybe, uh, forgetting sometimes about the role of the Holy spirit in my development as a, as a believer and in my growth, like, what that looks like for me to participate. And, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm fearful of the word partner. Cause I'm like, I don't partner with anything. God does it all, you know? And, and yet that's yeah. not true. Like I, I know that I do. And it, it, I think it probably just is my own lack of understanding of, of what that term really means in a, in a true mm-hmm. sense, biblically, but could you kind of unpack that? Yeah, so we have to understand that as people who have defied God and run from God, rebelled against God, we're spiritually in a state of deadness. We're not just a little bit alive, capable of reaching out to God and him responding to us. But if there's to be any good that comes of us, if there's to be any life, God has to move toward us. And, and that's just simply because we we fell, we we died spiritually. And so we see God all throughout scripture, taking initiative, reaching out. Here's Abram, just a a dude living in the middle of nowhere. And suddenly God reaches out to him. He initiates the relationship and Abram then responds to God. We see that, that pattern all throughout scripture, Adam and Eve run away. God moves toward, this is very consistent pattern. And so we understand that we were dead and then God reached out to us But God doesn't drag us against our will. God doesn't call us to do anything we don't want to do. God changes our will so that now we want to respond to him. That's the great great thing God does within us is he now generates a desire for God. Mm -hmm. And so we long to be um, God's people. We long to respond to him by, by faith. And so God's grace is what saves us. But God's grace is also what what sanctifies us, what causes us to grow. We respond by grace to grace. Um, In the end, we... Allowing it, that's enabling it, that's motivating it. And so all glory goes to God, even as he calls us to labor and to work, to be holy, even as, as he is holy. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, it's just an interesting dichotomy that I think sometimes we we unnecessarily create like a, a black and white or an opposition there. That's like, 
it, they, they work together. Like you said, I think <clears throat> I've heard that before people say, um, you know, maybe arguing against the idea of God's sovereignty or uh, how, you know, your view of salvation and how that happens. Like God doesn't drag people against their will, but what you said is so true. You're right. He doesn't, he changes what you desire. He changes your heart. He transforms you and he makes you alive. So an alive person who has a new heart is the one that he is then conforming into his image. It is not the dead person. It is some, a new creation entirely. Um, and so it's almost like this false premise sometimes that I, I think people get caught up in, um, which leads to a lot of confusion uh, when it comes to that topic. Yeah, we like to partition things very neatly. So we're all about divine sovereignty or we're all about human responsibility something along those lines, you know, but, but um, those things are friends, not enemies. Two mm-hmm. things can be true. They may not immediately make sense according to a human mind, but when we study God's word, really when we're studying God's word, it's like we're putting on a pair of glasses that just allows us to see the world in God's way. And we begin to see how we can reconcile those things. And the key is always going to be the, the work of Christ, the, the grace that Christ achieved for us. And we understand what Christ has done, how he can now, mm-hmm. how, how he, uh, by his grace, we can be transformed. Our desires can be renewed. Then we begin to understand, okay, now um, sovereignty and responsibility are mm-hmm. both both true and both part of God's will for us. Yeah, that's so good. Um, I actually just thought of a, uh, a verse that I wanted to ask you about because I got this question the other day and it was kind of a, um, uh, someone brought this up to me and said, you know, how do you make sense of this verse then? Um, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. How do we think about, you know, what that verse is meaning? And I mean, that could be obviously an entire podcast or an entire book in and of itself, I'm sure responding to that, but God willing not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Yeah. Can you help us with that? <laughs> I can do my best. You're right. That I, could be a topic unto itself. Um, we can understand God's will as what he can do. And we can understand God's will as what he will actually do. And so God has this desire. It's not God's will that any should perish. God doesn't delight out of seeing people judged guilty and um, Mm -hmm. going to hell that gives God no pleasure. Um, And yet somehow in the plan of God, he does not intend to save all people. He has set his love on some. We we have to understand that nobody is deserving of God's grace. All of deserve, all are deserving of God's wrath. Mm -hmm. Yet in his grace, he chooses to save some. And Mm -hmm. so there's that sense in which it's not God's will. God doesn't want anybody to, to go to hell. That's, that's not his, his desire. He gets no glee out of it. And yet God in his purpose has set his love on some. And Mm -hmm. so we can have confidence that the ones who are loved by God will come to God and be saved by the gospel and enjoy a relationship with him forever and in heaven. But there are others who will not respond to that offer that goes out to all humanity, repent, Mm -hmm. believe in the gospel and be saved. Yeah. Okay. That's helpful. Thank you. I know that's like, that was a sneak attack question, but uh, I saw an opportunity there and I always appreciate (laughs) hearing, um, you know, wisdom spoken to to those tough topics. Um, So what do we most, most misunderstand about relationship with God? 
once saved? Like if there's one thing you could point to that you think Christians often get wrong, what, what is it? Or misunderstanding? Yeah, I think we all have a tendency to slide away from grace and to slide back toward works. The natural mm-hmm. tendency of humanity is to earn our way to God, to earn God's favor, or to think that we can earn God's favor. Grace perplexes us. It's so unnatural to us. Grace being God's unmerited favor. And mm-hmm. so even once we come to God, genuinely come to God by grace through faith, Still, as we relate to God, we can start to think that God owes us something on our good days or that God owes us vengeance on our bad days. And so we stop relating to God on the basis of his grace and begin to act toward him, uh, relate to him on the basis of our works. And we can see that coming out when something we, we understand to be bad happens to us and we say to God, I don't deserve this. I deserve better than this. Or we can see it come out when we we don't do our devotions for one day and we're sort of expecting something bad to happen to us. Or, um, yeah, we we can just very quickly start to think that once again, we've slid away from from a relationship of grace and now we failed to earn God's favor or God has failed to reward us Mm -hmm. uh, for when we've done good things. So I think that's always, always the tendency of our hearts and one that needs to be corrected again and again, which is why you probably mm-hmm. hear people say things, you need to preach the gospel to yourself every day. We need that course correction. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. I know that's my propensity. So it's good to hear. Uh, it's, it's other people's as well. Um, what do you say to someone who feels like they have been in a dry season? I mean, I know you've probably heard that as a pastor, uh, you know, I just feel like God's been silent or I don't know, I've been doing these things. I've been reading my Bible. I've been praying. I just don't feel like God's there. Um, What do you like one, what do you say to someone who says that? And then two, what do you ascribe that feeling or that sense to, um, that, you know, that is so common for, for believers to, to experience. There can be a number of reasons we go through dry seasons. It could be just something physical or emotional within us, right? We all know how weak we are and we can have circumstances go on in us or even just physical changes within us that cause us to go through dry seasons. I think we have to be aware of that and not necessarily blame it on anything spiritual. Mm. Um, We can go through dry seasons because God just chooses to allow it in his sovereignty. He knows that what will help us ultimately, what will be for our good is if he just pulls back that, that tangible sense of his presence for a little Mm. bit. And so we have to labor a little more. We have to strive. We, maybe we enjoy the the good times a little bit more and we've experienced some of those dry times. We come to delight in them more. Uh, We can go through dry periods when we're just plain disobedient, Mm. um, when we're sinning against God and, and knowingly sinning against God, we shouldn't be shocked when we go through a season of spiritual dryness. And then I think there's just a natural ebb and flow to it at times too. Um, very few of us ride those highs all the time. And we love it when we go through those periods where it's just an absolute delight to be in the word. We can't wait to get to church. We can't wait to pray. Mm-hmm. Those are wonderful, but that's that doesn't seem to be the ongoing pattern in most people's lives. And um, I think ultimately the cure most of the time is to focus not on ourselves, but God. Don't focus mm-hmm. on your dry spiritual state. Focus on the God who's so delightful, mm-hmm. so worthy of our delight. The more we study the character of God, mm-hmm. the more that will, I hope, just arouse joy within us and cause us to, to find awe, to find delight and wonder in him. Yeah. 
My final sponsor of today is Cornerstone Curriculum. You guys, it is spring. It is almost May. Now is the time to start thinking about curriculum for this fall. And this sponsor is going to make your decisions around what you teach your children in regards to biblical worldview incredibly simple. I completed their four-year program, Worldviews of the Western World, in high school, and they have many other resources available for students of all ages. This is not only for homeschool families, although it is perfect if you do homeschool. Um, even if your kids are in a private or a public school, they have resources for you. They have a Answers for Difficult Days Bible Study, Starting Points Worldviews Primer, video series, so much more. Check out their website at cornerstonecurriculum.com and be sure to use the coupon code KINDLED for 5% off. That's KINDLED for 5% off and visit their website at cornerstonecurriculum.com. Yeah, and the beautiful thing about what you just said, focusing on the character of God is and preaching the gospel to yourself is that even in those dry seasons, like you may, you know, you may need to rely on what you know to be true more than what you feel or sense or are, are actually experiencing when you see who God is in scripture and you remind yourself of that and you preach the gospel to yourself, you are actually like you are actually receiving the very medicine you need or the very food you need in, in that spiritual hunger or in that sickness, you know, you are literally yeah. consuming the cure. And it's just, it's kind of this miraculous, like mysterious transaction where, that is, that is the only answer. And so I, I just think it, anytime I have experienced that, I'm like, but what do I know to be true? I know that it's not God. I know he hasn't, you know, um, he hasn't removed himself from my life or, or failed to be faithful to me or to, um, provide everything that I need. And so, uh, when I preach that truth that like, even the, even the feeling or the sense of distance or farness or dryness that I might, might be experiencing is exactly what Christ came and lived and died in order to close, you know, to close that gap between me and God. And that, you know, and that ultimately I'm going to experience that wholeness in heaven. And I think something you said there, I think is really important, um, which is our emotions tend to triumph over reason. We tend to be very responsive to emotion and not, um, not not modify our emotions according to truth, but to judge truth by by our emotions in the moment. I think mm -hmm. of uh, the poet William Cooper, uh, who said, "Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace." Behind a smiling, uh, behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. Mm -hmm. And so He's saying, "Don't judge the Lord by your feeble senses. Don't think God is withdrawn from you because you can't feel His presence. You need to trust Him." And uh, this is one of the reasons I believe so strongly in the value of, of sound doctrine, of theology. And yeah. you need to arm yourself with truth so that when mm. those difficult times come, whether it's just spiritual dryness or whether it's a great tragedy, whatever it is, you know what is true. You can't mm. trust your emotions. Emotions aren't intrinsically bad. Mm -hmm. They're just not as trustworthy as truth. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. I love that quote. Um, is that in your book? <laughs> is that quote in there? <laughs> I actually just put it in the second book, which I was oh, writing nice. today. So yeah. that's awesome. What are, this might be like the other side of the coin. Um, what are some ways you see believers most commonly failing to take hold of these means of grace, or maybe some of the distractions from it, whether it be, you know, um, maybe not distractions, but 
you know, false teachings, failing to meet lackluster prayer life? Like what are some of the, the ways that we might be drawn away from things that trip us up in our faith? Yeah. Yeah. I think largely the, the main thing today would simply be all the distractions that life affords us. I mentioned earlier that we're certainly not the only generation to deal with distractions and things that pull us away from mm-hmm. relating to God. But I do think we have more of them than ever before, or maybe ones that are better at interrupting life. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, a lot of people use their phone as their Bible, which there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with it. But traditionally, when you've been reading your Bible, you didn't have to worry about getting text messages and Instagram notifications on your Bible. Today, the same device yeah. does both. And um, you might be praying and it starts buzzing and flashing at you. And so there's, there's so many distractions today. And so I think we, we are a distracted people. And mm-hmm. in our distraction, we don't focus as much as we ought on our relationship with the Lord. And that leaves us then weak. It leaves us vulnerable. Yeah. So what about, um, shifting gears a little bit, what about this, this quote, uh, it's religion or it's not religion, it's relationship. Um, I don't know where that came from or when that became popularized. I'm sure you, you might have a better idea, but what do you think about that? Cause that kind of gets at what we're talking about. Like it is not necessarily the works themselves that, you know, obviously we, we know that works don't make us right. But at the same time, you mentioned there what there is duty that we do perform, and that doesn't have to be where it ends, and it shouldn't be where it ends. But what do you think about that idea of, you know, it's not a religion, it's relationship? Yeah, you know, I understand where that sentiment came from. And it came out of, I think, American evangelicalism that had in many ways become very cold and very Mm -hmm. formal. And at the time, I think it would go back to probably the church growth movement, maybe in the late 90s or something, at least when I started hearing it, people are wanting to call others away from that. This isn't your grandfather's church, that kind of thing. Um, Here, we we really enjoy the Lord, we really celebrate, we really delight. And, you know, so I I understand why they were saying that sort of thing. They wanted to call people away from mere formality. On the other hand, Christianity is demonstrably a religion. So it's not, you shouldn't oppose religion and relationship. Those things are not opposed to one another Hmm. any more than divine sovereignty and human responsibility, which we've already talked about. Um, religion and relationship go together wonderfully in the Christian life. So mm-hmm. our religion, um, the way we relate to God is premised on a, a relationship, a true living mm-hmm. relationship with God. And I think that puts Christianity at odds with pretty much every other religion in the world is that it's premised on a friendship, a friendship mm-hmm. with the God who made the universe, which is just a, a remarkable thing. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, I I think you know, as I think about the, the people in my life who I've heard say things like this, or I'm not a religious guy, I'm not a religious person. Um, often that is, it seems to come out of maybe experiences in their life, uh, where religion was performative and religion Mm -hmm. was merely like, uh, recently I interviewed someone who was raised Catholic and Mm -hmm. he now says, I'm not a religious guy. He's, but he's like, I, I accepted Christ and I am saved and I, I am going to heaven and I believe in Jesus Christ and I read my Bible and I do all these things, but I'm not religious, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I, it's interesting. Cause I'm like, I, I'm not sure. Maybe it means different things to him, but uh, I'm like, I think that that is 
it seems like it is an avoidance of, you know, the negative pursuit of righteousness through works. And in his perception, that's what he means by I'm not religious, but then what do you, there's some ditches there too, that you would easily slide into if you're like, oh, but so now I don't go to church. So now mm-hmm. I don't participate in the life of the body. Cause I'm not religious. Right. 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 And ironically, a lot of people who claim not to be religious really want to focus on acts of love and mercy toward other people, which is mm-hmm. wonderful. We should be acting in love and mercy toward other people. Yeah, we go to James chapter one, last verse, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so in the biblical view, what is what is a good religion? What is a religion that's honoring to God? It's one where we keep unstained from the world. So we don't look worldly. And it's one that uh, does what God calls us to do, which is to care for the needy, mm-hmm. to care for the weak, marginalized. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, we, we, we're not unreligious or non-religious. We're very religious. We have a system of beliefs. Yeah. And, um, but it's one that's premised on a relationship that, that makes all the difference. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think you and I who have, uh, I think we understand that we're, it's not that we're non-religious. We, we really are very religious people, but we think mm-hmm. in the, in the best way. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Um, finally, what's the danger of, of idolizing means of grace? Can we do that? And, and if so, what, what's the danger there? Yeah. So I want to be careful with the word idolize because in a, can you idolize something that's really intrinsically good? I suppose you can, but, um, I think if you were to idolize the means of grace, you'd be doing what I said earlier, which is now relying on the means of grace as the basis of your standing with God. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're convinced that, Hey, if I do, if I really pray well, and I really have a great time in scripture and I'm consistent in church, therefore God owes me. Now God really loves me. If you don't do those things as well as I do, you probably don't enjoy the grace of God the way I do or the love of God the way I do. So to make God smile upon us dependent upon those means is to completely misunderstand them. Uh, Those are the ways we relate to God. God loves it when we relate to him that way, but the basis of our relationship uh, was achieved by grace through faith in his son. Mm -hmm. And so always we can't go looking to our means as the basis of our relationship. Instead, we go looking to the cross. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Wow. Well, I appreciate everything you've said so much. And I know that listeners will find this just such an encouragement. Uh, Where can people find your books online or follow you online, any social media, anything like that you might want to mention? Sure. Yeah. Um, Chally's.com is the blog. I'm there every day. Other than that, most social media platforms, you can find me just at Chally's. There's not a lot of Chally's in the world, which Mm -hmm. makes it a pretty safe bet. If you go to some site, dot com slash challies you'll find me there and uh, mm-hmm. can get notifications of new content and so on awesome well thank you so much i appreciate this and uh, i'm looking forward to giving your book to a few people who i know will will really uh, benefit from like i said just the the bite-sized chunks that's a genius idea and definitely encourage anyone to go check that out and see what i'm talking about you can view like the preview version on you know like the kindle you can, you can see what it looks like. And it literally is like Instagram posts with commentary or captions. So, um, it's a perfect gift to give to a new believer. Good. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. And today there will be no outro because of the same problem we had with the intro. Um, make sure and leave a rating and review for Kindled.
if at all possible. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. And thank you for being so patient through that very obnoxious background noise. Have a great week. Oh, the last thing uh, that I forgot to mention is if you want to get in on our subscriber community where I am putting out exclusive bonus episodes every Friday in addition to this podcast on Mondays, um, you can join our Firestarters community at kindledpodcast.locals.com for $10 a month. Um, It'll support this ministry, help me to continue doing what I'm doing and get you exclusive episodes that no one else is hearing. Um, It's a really fun way to just kind of be an insider and get more content for those of you who are always caught up and waiting for the next episode. It's a great option for you. All right. Have a great rest of your week. I'll see you on Monday. Bye.